Uh, it's great to be with you uh, and it's great for you to be with us here uh, at RBC and I want to extend that welcome that, that Sean and Nolene have been giving uh, this morning as well. And for the next six to eight weeks we are beginning a new series called Jesus the Game Changer 2. No, Jesus the Game Changer, we'll leave it at that. And uh, this is a, a series where we're exploring the impact of Jesus and particularly his final words, uh, this, uh, particularly this morning, uh, but the way in which Jesus changed the game in world history, his impact uh, on the world and how he has radically changed uh, the lives of individuals, of nations, of, of, our, of our world and of our creation. Uh, and so we're going to... Well, the idea is that Jesus is a game changer. And I imagine that you can perhaps think of a few game changers from what you know of world history or from what you know uh, or or have seen in your own life, uh, whether from your own lifetime uh, or previous. But for example, we have have Mozart, right, who could be considered a a game changer in the, the world of music. We have, of course, Michael Jordan, I think a a definite game changer in the world of basketball. We have Martin Luther King, Jr., a game changer in the conversation on race in America. And perhaps we could consider Michael Jackson a game changer in the world of pop music. But then we have Jesus, perhaps the, the ultimate Game changer. The ultimate game changer, perhaps. There are very few people over the course of history, and particularly over the last 2,000 years, particularly 2,000 years later from when they lived, perhaps a few Greek philosophers, perhaps some Egyptian uh, kings known to be buried there in the, the pyramids, who are talked about or shaped world history or are continued to be followed and imitated like Jesus himself. So for the next few weeks, we're going to explore this theme, this topic of the impact of Jesus, the way in in which he had an impact on our world. He was a game changer. And particularly today, we're going to look at his final words, the final words that he says to his disciples uh, in Acts. And we'll turn to their turn there in a moment. But for us, we, we have a, a passion here at RBC to be a community growing in Jesus and showing Jesus to the world and this aligns very, uh, very smoothly with our showing Jesus to the world uh, component of our passion, whether it be the local community or whether it be the wider world. And so the impact of Jesus this has a game-changing effect on the world. And also, it comes from his final words here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So if you have your Bibles, do, do turn there and we will get there shortly. But last week, I, last week I read out the words of Jesus, his, his final words, both in Matthew and in Acts. And there he gave a reminder of the commission that he had upon Jesus and his followers. And I also explore the, the idea that, that these final words really, I suppose, came from the heart of Christ. It was his heart for people. 
his heart for the world that, that drove him, that motivated him, that motivates his disciples to then uh, reach out, to then uh, pursue this commission of being witnesses to the world, of making uh, disciples. And so as we look at these final words of Jesus this week, actually at the content of the, the words uh, this week, uh, we can see the impact that they have not only on the disciples at the time, but also the impact and priority they take uh, for us. We could say that today is sort of part two of last week's part one. Now, I have not been in the position of hearing someone's uh, final words before they pass away. I know a number of you may well have. But I suspect that the final words one gives to our loved ones are, are words of significant importance. Words that highlight or demonstrate a person's priorities, a person's convictions, a person's values. I'm not sure whether you've seen the movie Saving Private Ryan, that epic World War II film uh, from 1998. And it is about a group of soldiers who travel to Normandy uh, to locate and take home Private Jack Ryan, no, James Ryan. His three brothers have been killed in action across a variety of places uh, where the war was was undertaken and the general gives the command for a group, a unit, to go in and extract James Ryan out and take him back home to his family and his grieving parents. And so this small unit faces numerous challenges along the way uh, and they, they seek to find Private Ryan and eventually find him and his group of paratroopers uh, defending a key bridge and seeking to attack a, uh, a, an imminent German attack. And so Ryan finds out that his, his brothers are dead, but he's unwilling, unwilling to leave his post. He won't, he won't go anywhere. And so the leader of the unit that has come to get him, that is played by Tom Hanks, if you remember that, if you... Uh, attempt, uh, joins in with this, this paratrooper group and attempts to destroy uh, this bridge to stop this German attack. But unfortunately, not Tom Hanks, but his character is shot. And before he passes, Hanks' character tells Ryan, he says to him, earn this, earn this, earn it. That is his final words before... He passes. And that is, he wants to express to Private Ryan that he needs to earn now the life that he has been given because of the sacrifice of hidden and the sacrifice that this unit has gone in to, 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 to help him and to get him out. At the end of the film, it turns to an older Private Ryan and he's there with his wife, Asking, am I worthy of such a sacrifice? Did, did I earn this? And evidently, the impact of those final words on Private Ryan had a lifelong effect on him. That's the, the picture we get. And so, when we come to the words of Jesus, 
Do they have an impact? Do they have an impact on us and our life? And I wonder, I wonder what your final words or what you would like your final words to be yourself. As I said, Jesus' last words are found in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 and they say this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. If we're to believe that a person's last words highlight their priorities, their values, their, their convictions, what can we discover about looking at Jesus' last words here? It's more than simply a command or a, or a commission. Jesus tells his disciples that they are to give testimony to what they have seen and what they have heard. And along with that, he gives them two crucial components to do so. One, he, he promises to equip them with the Holy Spirit. He, he will equip them along the journey and he will be with them through the Holy Spirit. And then second, he, he shows a vision of what, is, what could be, what, what is going to be, of an entirely new reality. That is, that, there, that Jesus' message will go to the ends of the earth. It won't just stay with them, but it will expand and move and move out. So let's have a look at those two things for a moment. Be my witnesses. He declares to his disciples that they are to be his witnesses. In his book, Simply Good News, the author Tom Wright points out Many people today assume that Christianity is one or more of these things, a religion, a moral system, a philosophy. In other words, they assume that Christianity is about advice. But it wasn't and isn't. Christianity is simply good news. It is the news that something has happened as a result of which the world is a different place. The reality of Jesus' kingship is good news. It's not good advice. It is an announcement of an event that has taken place, that has happened, an event that has eternal consequences. Eternal consequences for all creation. Christianity isn't some sort of 12-step program to undertake. It's not some sort of helpful self-help blog post that you might read. It's not even an inspirational TED talk that you might listen to or watch. No, it is an announcement of a new reality. When we consider witnesses, say, in in a court of law, we uh, understand that they are eyewitnesses, that they are telling what they have seen and what they have heard. They are giving testimony to that. Witnesses are not people who come into the courtroom to give good advice. No, they come with a, or they, they come with a personal experience of what they have seen or what they have heard. And so those who are with Jesus, those who are here at the opening chapter of Acts, they, they are, are, are given a priority to, to share their story, to share what they have seen or heard, not to give good advice, or what other people should do, but Jesus instructs them to be witnesses. 
to tell others of what they have experienced, what they know of. And we're able, we're able to do the same, aren't we? To tell of our own experience of Jesus, what we have seen occur in our life, how God has worked in situations that we have found ourselves in, or the way in which he has been with us as we have traversed and travelled certain seasons in life. These are often the most powerful stories in, witness, in witnessing to Jesus. And quite often, don't get me wrong, quite often they feel very, very ordinary, don't they? The second component is uh, that Jesus, in his last words, empowers the disciples through the Holy Spirit. He promises them the Holy Spirit. The early followers of Jesus were far from an impressive bunch. I mean, even Peter and John in Acts 4.13 are described as uneducated and ordinary men. Not exactly, a, uh, not exactly highest praise, is it? How would you like that on your CV, you know? Uneducated and ordinary. You don't need to be particularly educated. You don't need to be particularly exceptional to tell others about Jesus and about your experience of God and of him. And we do it every day in all sorts of different ways. It's part of the art of conversation, isn't it? To tell, tell others what you've been up to, what you've seen, what you've heard. And some of that is all very ordinary. I mean, some people like to also share that, not only with people that they know quite intimately, but also like to make that public and put it on social media and show their breakfast, lunch and dinner to us all. Some of that's pretty ordinary as well, isn't it? (laughs) However, the reality is that these ordinary people were tasked with an extraordinary mission of witnessing to their experience of Jesus. And they were not going to do it alone. And it's important to recognise that Jesus promises here the Holy Spirit and promises that the Spirit will be with them as they go about their their very ordinary lives. And it's the promise that is important to understand too because promises are important things. Promises show a commitment, don't they? They show a commitment to something or to someone and, uh, and promises can be anything from promising yourself to go on walks three or four times a week, a week just to lose a little bit of weight, to signing a legal document to say that you'll actually pay your rent on time. Or a promise could be that you, you, you promised to be home when your parents said you were due to be home, to promising uh, to love and to care and to, to commit yourself to someone uh, through a marriage ceremony. Different types of promises, I get that. But promises still are built on trust and on character and on truth and are important to be upheld and, and fulfilled. And so when Jesus here promises the Spirit, he promises that he will be with them that God will be with them as they go about their lives and they go about 
their witness in because as they are sent on mission, they are not left alone, but they are equipped. They are equipped for the journey that they will undertake. Uh, Commentator Alexander McLaren uh, says this about this aspect of the passage. These 11 poor men were not left by their master with a hard task and no help. He bade them wait for the promised Holy Spirit, the coming of whom they had heard about when in the upper room. The order in which promise and command occur here shows how graciously Jesus considered the apostles' weakness. Not a word does he say of the task of witnessing till he has filled their hearts with the promise of the Spirit. He shows them the armour of power in which they are to be clothed before he points them to the battlefield. Some good words there. Many people see how Jesus' last words become the guiding narrative of the rest of the book of of Acts. From here the gospel does go forth to Jerusalem and Samaria and Judea and out to the extent the the far reaches of the known Roman Empire. But Jesus' last words also define who is the hero of the story. Because it's not the disciples, but it is the Spirit. The story of Acts shows how the Holy Spirit gives power and transformation to the apostles, to the followers of Jesus, and how it propels the gospel to the ends of the earth. We could say it's a game changer, couldn't we? And as a result, it, 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 it results in an entirely different thing, a new thing, something that is brand new, that has not been seen before in history. For the Jesus event was not only for the Jews, but was for the whole of the earth. You will be my, my, oh, excuse me. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Throughout scripture there is this recurring theme that God's people exist for the renewal and the blessing of the whole world. So when God calls Abraham in Genesis, he says that his whole family will bless the world. In Revelation 7, the other end of our Bibles, we are told or given this picture, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people and tongue, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, that is Jesus. And so these words in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, these are Jesus' last words, they are a pivotal moment in Scripture, it's in which Scripture seems to turn, the New Testament seems to turn into something that is new, a new thing. As Jesus instructs his disciples to go to the ends of the earth. And we've heard about this through term one. In Acts, Acts 2 we, we heard of 3,000 people coming to faith uh, because of the message that they had heard in their own language. In Acts 10 there's a detailed account of a man named Cornelius. And he is a Gentile, someone that is not of Jewish origin, uh, who comes to faith and that is a decisive moment when Gentiles are included in the people of God. 
So even after all these promises and the prophecies that God has given to his people, the blessing continues to to go out. God's blessing continues to go out to his people to the ends of the earth. And the evidence of the gift of the Holy Spirit in these Gentiles, in these people, will show God is accomplishing his mission. He is doing a new thing. He is doing a new thing through his son Jesus, through the gospel. And it goes wider and wider and wider. But it's worth being clear on what that message is, isn't it? And in Mark chapter 1 verse 15, uh, we read, The time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. This is the message that they are to take out. Jesus invites people to embrace this new reality through repentance and belief. Dallas Willard says that repentance is not beating your head on the floor or feeling bad about your sins. It is to rethink your thinking so as to change the way you've been thinking and acting. We repent or change the way we've been thinking and acting in light of this new reality, in light of this good news. So how does, how does the gospel change everything or, or even anything? For those who are changed in their thinking, this event ends up changing everything. In the stories we have recorded in the book of Acts, we witness the impact in which uh, this event has on the whole community. They gathered regularly to pray and worship and to learn from one another. They sold their possessions and, and gave to the poor and those in need. They shared with those in need. They they practiced forgiveness and showed new ways in which they approached conflict and and leadership and and other social duties and responsibilities. And so this good news event caused these early believers to to rethink the way they thought about life. Changes the way we think and the reality in which we live changes the way perhaps we should live as well. I'm not sure whether you know the social researcher company Roy Morgan, but in 2019 uh, they released a survey that said that the predominant reality in Australia is that 46% of Australians have concerns about the environment and listed as the biggest problem facing the world. 21% mention their struggle for economic, along with economic factors like the poverty gap, unemployment high cost of living, 11% mentioned concerns about uh, issues like family breakdown or or morality and and other such values as well, facing uh, issues facing Australia. And so perhaps the question there is how does the good news event, how does Jesus' coming and the, the sending of his mission, how does this event create the opportunity for an alternative reality, even in here in Australia? How would a group of Christians demonstrating and announcing this good news, this new reality, impact our own people, our own communities in which, in which we live? Even how could we do that here at RBC? Let's take the environment as an example. 
uh, for a moment. The good news is that Jesus is Lord and has ushered in a new reality for our creation, for our environment and how we care for our creation. So the story begins where heaven's hope is in a garden, beautiful and free, and it finds its consummation in this garden city where the earth and the garden are flourishing once again. This has implications, perhaps, is how we understand ourselves in, in taking care or stewarding our creation. People facing economic issues experience an alternative reality in the early church. They had everything in common. They were selling their possessions and giving the goods they had to anyone who was in need. Perhaps the question there is, how could we talk about, about and steward uh, the finances and, and the resources that we have in our own lives, in our own community, to reflect that trust in God. Well, how, how, can, a church, how can a church that redefines what it means to belong be a place where people feel at home, where people feel welcome and a, a place of community, where loneliness and isolation and, and family uh, breakdown uh, has increasingly has health implications for people. How can a church, excuse me, church come along and work within that, particularly in this post or COVID era? The picture that Revelation gives us, where there is a great multitude of every nation, tribe, tongue standing before the throne and before King Jesus is one of restoration. And this is what the promise of the Holy Spirit gives us, a a, a promise and a, a witness to build towards that of restoration. Jesus has come to restore the world, to restore the earth. And this is what the gospel can do and what we are invited to be part of. The time has come, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is near, the scriptures say. And in anticipation of that ultimate hope in Christ Jesus, that picture we have that there will be healing, restoration, curses broken, that there will be tears wiped away and people of every tongue being united together in one, praising the Lord Jesus. For some, this for some of you here, this might be a new message and something new that you've heard. For others, this might be a time of, of confirmation, something that you know, that you affirm already, that you are sure of, that you know of what is true. Whatever the case may be, I hope that you can see that Jesus is our ultimate hope, but he's also that ultimate, the ultimate game changer and his impact on the world impacts us and our lives, our church, our community and our earth. And I pray that we can be part of that. Let me pray now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way in which you have changed the course of history and, and the way in which you continue to impact our world. Lord, we thank you for the way in which you have impacted us in our lives. Help us to be followers and disciples of you that 
that sees your priorities, that sees your uh, mission in this world, a mission of restoration, a mission, a, a mission of hope uh, for your people, uh, the world over. And so, Lord, we pray, not, not just for ourselves and our own community, but also for our wider world, that you may be going forth in ways that we don't understand and in ways that seem very ordinary. But as you do that, Lord, with your promise of the Holy Spirit, may we continue to trust and thank you for the way in which you turn people to yourself, that people may come and praise you and glorify you. And may we do that ourselves in our own lives, uh, today and this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.